This is On the Block with Stricken Austin. Nebraska Basketball Hall of Famer and nine-year NBA vet, Eric Strickland. Strickland for three! And you're going to go out of here at the Big 8 tournament champion. Coming at you live from the heart of Lincoln, America, on air and online at theticketfm.com. Brought to you by Mary Ellen's Food for the Soul. This is On the Block with Stricken Austin. Hold up. We're back on the block for the second hour. Austin Orman and Eastrick, we are on the block. 93.7 The Ticket. You can also get to the app, theticketfm.com, where you can find all great content that comes out of 93.7 The Ticket, all the different platforms, all the different uh, shows that are there stationed on that app. You can also join there. You can also uh, subscribe hit the notification button, and also hit that like button if you're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, or Twitter. We're grateful for you and your support as well. Sutter Heyman text line is always open to you as well. Great discussion on NIL in the first half and the first segments of On the Block. But we're going to transition over right now. Uh, Obviously, signing day has been completed. A lot of universities are happy about how they did. And we're going to get into that. We're going to try to get into ranking the best college football recruiting classes uh, after the second national signing day. And we're going to talk about some of those uh, universities that we feel uh, did a great job and how uh, we think that that may pan out for them potentially. But we also want to hear from you if you think that, uh, you know, maybe some of it's wrong or incomplete or something's missing. Sutter Heyman text line is the place for you to be. 402-464-5685. Austin, are you ready to get into this wonderful discussion about recruiting classes and how they uh, fare throughout the second signing Let's do it. We already talked NIL. Let's talk about the actual players that that went to these places and not just who they are, but where they're going. I think that's an important part of it, and I think there are some trends to look at. Yeah, so when it comes to evaluating recruiting, uh, the 2023 class, 2023 class, uh, are the traditional high school prospects. This is not um, transfer transfers, but they will mention transfers and guys that did come in, but we're speaking specifically on the traditional high, uh, signing because when transfer portal guys get in the transfer portal, they don't have to sign a NLI. So don't get that confused from NIL. They don't have to sell, sign a national letter of intent. They only have to register and they just have to basically get on campus at that point. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Let's start with Alabama. Um, some would say that their best recruit in uh, in this signing period was their offensive tackle, Caden uh, Proctor. Uh, they also had a significant transfer out of tight end at the tight end position from C.J. Dupree uh, out of Maryland. So, um, you know, the consistent top-ranked class in bowl subdivision contains a whopping eight five-star prospects and 18 four-year signees ranked inside of the nation's top 200 recruits. That's Alabama. Uh, The biggest of that, they feel, is Proctor. So, um, you know, how do you view uh, this recruiting class? How do you think they did? Um, You know, they have a two-sport star also in Nicholas Harbor, um, who ended up picking South Carolina. And so there's, there's, there, there, there's 
there's um, a lot of, you know, you would think that they would have fallen short. What I'm trying to say, Austin, you would think they would have come up short being that um, Saban doesn't take the NRL road and just be just throwing money all over the place. He's just like, yo, you know, you know who we are. You know what it is, what you want to do with it. You coming? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know if he said it like that, but that's how it feels. He said it. <laughs> That's, that's so how do you, kind of how been do you his view their crew class. Yeah, it's kind of been his approach. And I think just today it was announced that they finally have a collective, Alabama does, which is crazy mm-hmm. that for someone like Nick Saban, who has been on the cutting edge or at least willing to adapt to college football so much that Alabama's, you know, a couple years behind the curve in terms of getting an actual organized collective up and running. I can get yeah. not, you know, liking it. But Nick Saban also didn't like spread offenses and going up-tempo. But what did he do? He adapted and adjusted. And I'm sure that, you know, the the promise of this collective played a part in signing this class. Maybe he doesn't want to admit it. Uh, He probably won't call himself out like he called Jimbo Fisher out, you know, before SEC media days last year. Mm -hmm. But Caden Proctor is my favorite signee in this Alabama class, if for no other reason than he didn't go to Iowa. Good job, young man. Good choice. Well done. <laughs> you got to love that about it. Uh, Georgia, they just keep retooling and revamping the back-to-back national champions, just keep getting richer. They have a group of he- – uh, they, they're wait, the group, let me just say, the group in their recruiting class is very heavy in the receivers department as well mm-hmm. as linemen and defensive backs. Um, they feel that the best of that bunch and their biggest recruit is defensive lineman Damon Willis. And, and for some reason, it seems as if Georgia is becoming interior defensive lineman you. Mm-hmm. It just seems like they're just continuously pumping them out. And they've got a treasure trove of them just ready and willing to jump in. And they end up finding another one in Damian Wilson or Damon Wilson. I'm sorry. Uh, they also had a, a, an impact transfer that came in. Dominic Levette out of Missouri. So, um you know, obviously Stetson Bennett, you know, the uh, the old head of the bunch is transitioning on. Uh, they need to see how they're going to recover out of that. But, uh, you know, they still got Brock Bowers and uh, Lad McConkey. So they still got some they got some great participants that are still waiting to make another run at it next year. They do. Brock Bowers is going to be whoever takes over at quarterback's best friend, whether that's Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift, who was the, the five-star freshman. It's curious to see Georgia go so heavy into wide receivers. I, I'm not going to say that, you know, Georgia doesn't have to because, you know, they're making it work with Lad McConkey, who's no one's idea, you know, of an, an all-time, you know, college football best player. But a lot of Georgia's production came from the tight ends in Bowers and Washington in, you know, having Kenny McIntosh at running back. But, I mean, A.D. Mitchell was fine, didn't do a whole lot in the regular season. Arian Smith, another name you heard, didn't do a whole lot. So if Georgia's able to, you know, find a replacement for Stetson Bennett in one of those guys and add wide receivers on top of that, kind of catch up in terms of the talent in that room, like you see pretty much around the SEC now, against mm-hmm. that schedule with an impact freshman receiver or two, well, watch out for the dogs again. Kings stay on top. There you go. Hey, it got coming straight off the block. <laughs> Austin just dropped it like it was hot. So uh, <laughs> let's turn to Texas now. Texas, a lot of NIL money, been down in the dumps just over the last, what, 15 years now? They just haven't been able to get – uh, get off the snide and get right. 
it's 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 been weird to see Texas not able to, you know, they got all that money, they got that what the Longhorn Network. I mean, mm-hmm. they're like they're like Notre Dame basically out of the Big tw- <laughs> Big Ten, uh, Big Twelve, and and uh, a lot of money, but they ended up winning the Arch Manning sweepstakes. But here's the dilemma. What you got? This is where I'm talking about NIL situations. You've got now two super NIL guys in Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to lose. So at the point, how are you going to feel about that? That's what they ended up picking up. Uh, that's their biggest recruit. Um, Jalen Catalan out of Arkansas, a d- defensive back, is one of their transfer import, impact players. So at this point, they've got a lot of depth. Uh, B. John Robinson was phenomenal, but they retooled and found a five-star running back out of Cedric Baxter Jr. that's already on campus, and he's re- ready to challenge that open spot that B. John Robinson just left. Absolutely, and he's going to need to step up for me for Texas to get back to where they were. Obviously, Quinn Ewers has to take that next step, you know, to be the guy that everyone thought he could be. It's my presumption that he wins the starting job again this year. And then after that, it's uh, Arch Manning time. Because if Quinn Ewers has a good year this year, I think he should still have one more year to play in college before he's draft eligible, if I'm not mistaken. But mm-hmm. if Arch Manning is as good as they think he is, I mean, as highly as Quinn Ewers is rated, Arch Manning is that level or higher. Plus, he has the Manning name and everything that comes with, you know, having those seven letters strung together in that order behind your first name. So it's going to be hard to keep Arch Manning off the field if he's as good as Quinn Ewers, let alone if he's better than Quinn Ewers. So I think that's a huge get for Texas for that as they start that transition to the SEC as well. To me, Strick, if I'm if I'm Texas, if I'm a Texas fan, I need to see a 10-win season this year to feel good about going to the SEC. And I need to see a major bowl win with it. And I need to hear behind the scenes that Arch Manning is progressing and he's the guy to lead into the SEC. That's going to take it over. Right. Because yeah, absolutely. If you're Go going, ahead. if you're going eight and four, seven and five, I don't know how you feel great about transitioning to the SEC where the big 12 is, you know, a dogfight, night in, night out. There's not an easy game on that schedule. That's yeah. only going to get tougher as you get to the SEC Because if Texas is supposed to be winning the Big 12 and they can't get out of their own way in that conference, imagine when you're playing Georgia, Bama, LSU, uh, whoever else it is that pops up, you know, on a year-to-year basis coming in without that foundation of success. That seems like a, you know, a tough road to hoe. Well, let's talk, let's, let's go ahead and continue the conversation and just move a little bit north and talk about Oklahoma because Oklahoma finds himself in a very similar, similar position, a down, super down year this year. Brent Venables is trying to retool and revamp himself, kind of rethink and get his mind back on track, find themselves uh, doing a little bit better on the offensive side of of the ball. Obviously, defense has always been a problem with him. That shouldn't be a problem with a Brent Venables-led team. But ultimately, they they went and found somebody at the quarterback position, and they feel that their best recruit is Jackson Arnold. And uh, they have an impact lineman, which is the one we lost which right. was a little bit disappointing for us, which is Walter Rouse, but he's going to shore up that left side of the tackle position. They struggled on the offensive side. You're starting off with a solid uh, starting type of lineman at the, at the left tackle position. You got a new quarterback that you're going to try to feel this way or somebody you got that's Dylan Gabriel back. going to win that job. They, oh, they got Gabriel back. Yep. Gabriel staying. So they're, 
there you go. So then Dylan Gabriel probably end up leading the charge again, unless unless someone comes in and takes the throne. Uh, but ultimately, how do you you view about them? Because I think they're in the same position as as as, Tennessee, as Texas. Absolutely, Oklahoma can at least say that they won the Big Twelve and have been in the college football playoff, so they have that in their you know not too distant history. But at the same time, it's a what have you done for me now? The SEC isn't going to care that Oklahoma you know made all those college football playoffs as a member of the Big Twelve. Oklahoma, you know, barely getting by to bowl eligibility is not the spot they want to be. That's another team that needs a 10-win season, and I don't know if I can predict them to getting to that, but I wouldn't be surprised if the defense is much improved. Where year one, under a new personality like Brent Venables, running a new style of defense like Brent Venables did, in a conference with teams that Brent Venables isn't familiar with. I mean, think about how long he was at Clemson, how long he got to see some of those teams in their systems. It's easier to game plan when you know the guys you're game playing against. You start to learn tendencies from those guys. Brent mm-hmm. Venables didn't have nearly as much of that institutional knowledge at Oklahoma last year. So I don't think Oklahoma gets back to college football playoff level, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them rebound to a nine-win season, maybe double digits if everything broke right. And I was surprised to see them you know, rank as highly as they did in recruiting even after a down year. I know it's the Oklahoma brand. I know Brent Venables is a high-energy guy, but man, Oklahoma needed this, you know, breath of fresh air from this recruiting class after the way last season went. Absolutely. Let's let's move over, stay in the SEC at this point. Let's talk about LSU. Uh, Brian Kelly's first full class is actually probably a good one. He relied pretty heavily in the transfer portal to try to fill in some of those holes. He also got 16 four-star prospects that he was able to land. Uh, all but one of those transfers come out of a Power 5 program. Uh, led by Omar Spakes, linebacker out of uh, Oregon State. Oregon State had a tremendous year mm-hmm. la- last year as well in the in the Pac-12. So uh, knowing that, he was also able to la- land the Syracuse cornerback by the name of Deuce Chestnut. Uh, that is a possible starter, but definitely would be a contributor in that that defensive back room for them. So how do you think LSU uh, was able to do? Because they've got to make a move. You know, they kind of find themselves on the up, the down, uh, maybe a little bit of this. So, you know, do they make a jump? That's the however many million dollars Brian Kelly is making question. I'm surprised year one went as well as it did. I thought LSU, Mm -hmm. based on the change that they had made to Brian Kelly, was going to be six and six, seven and five. But no, they beat Bama. They do it in, you know, Mm -hmm. pretty gutsy way. And then they end up winning the SEC West in year one under Brian Kelly, which... I think goes to show that we can't grade hires right away because we know Brian Kelly can coach football. We didn't know if he could do it at LSU in the SEC, given that he was, you know, a Northeast guy who moved to the Midwest. Looks like football's coaching, football's coaching. And if you have the talent and you have the ability to connect with your players, like it seems Brian Kelly did, then you get kind of, I don't want to call it a magical season, given that they had one of those under Joe Burrow a few years ago, but they exceeded my expectations. And to be in the top five for recruiting, LSU, I think, still has some of that cool kid swagger to them, so it shouldn't ever be hard to recruit to that place that loves football like it does with a coach who's had the success Brian Kelly has. So I'm a little surprised to see them in the top five, but the more I think about it, I probably shouldn't be surprised. Oh, okay, moving on. Let's let's still, let's move over to the Big Ten. Let's talk about Ohio State. Very disappointing um, into the season for Ohio State. I um, think they feel that they, you know, should have had one or a run at one. Uh, they're coming back. 
you know, Ryan Day was on the hot seat at one point. There was a lot of people that was calling for his head. Is this a year that he has to put up or shut up? Or is he, is, you think he's okay? Landed a pretty good uh, recruiting class again. Uh, wide receiver Brandon uh, Ennis is one of the guys that they're going to be looking uh, to, to try to emerge. They had great receivers, your Smith and Jigbas, um, Harrison Juniors. I mean, they, they, they've, they've continued. Yeah, yeah. So they've continued to, you know, put them in and put them out and move them on into the, in, into the NFL. Uh, Jihad Carter out of Syracuse. Syracuse just just had a lot of exodus of some of their, their top players, and he's one of them, finds his way at Ohio State as a defensive back. So what do you think about this team at this point? Put up or shut up sounds about right for Ryan Day, given the stakes around Ohio State football. You know, for a handful of years there, they were the unquestioned bully of the Big Ten. Michigan, you know, could have good teams, but never really put up a fight or just found a way to lose the game against Ohio State. Penn State, you knew was talented, but aside from that one year, couldn't get over the Ohio State hump. Or if they did, they lost another game in there to make it, you know, moot that they actually beat Ohio State. Michigan State comes and goes. No one from the West was consistently on Ohio State's level. I know Northwestern played them close to that, that one year in that championship game. But again, Ohio State found a way to get it done. Losing to Michigan once, obviously Ohio State doesn't like, but that was a really good Michigan team two seasons ago that did something Ohio State hadn't seen much of. Losing to Michigan twice in a row, that's darn near inexcusable. The last coach to do that before Ryan Day ended up getting canned after the season. So we know Mm -hmm. Ohio State is the most talented team in the Big Ten according to the recruiting rankings. We know Ryan Day can coach a quarterback. We know Brian Hartline can coach a wide receiver or two. Now it comes down to, can Jim Knowles get that defense playing better in year two, kind of like we talked about with Venables at Oklahoma? And how does Ohio State get off the mat when it comes to the game at the end of the season? Love it. Great, <laughs> great, great breakdown on that one. I, I'm interested in this one only because this program is a storied, uh, storied program, um, just have not been able to get off this now. You would think, that in this generation of the glitz and the glam, that this particular uh, university would be one to where uh, people would be flocking. And that's the Miami Hurricanes down in Miami. Um, one of the things they, they ended up landing Francis Maui Goa. And, and uh, he's one of several offensive and defensive linemen. So they really focused hard on the offense and the defensive line in order to reestablish a more physical style and uh, to help change the uh, direction of the program. It just seems like they were just getting beat, battered, and bruised when it came in inside, similar to what us at Nebraska is, has dealt with over the last years as a storied program as well. It seems like they've turned the focus there. They also were able to land uh, uh, Francisco Maui Goa, uh, <laughs> which you got a two-for-one, seems like, out of that. And uh, he comes out of Washington State, finds his way down there as well to compete. So, um, you know, do you think they can get it turned around down there in Miami? It just seems like there's so much hope. There's so, you know, each year they think they're on the get back. The conference isn't like a crazy dominated conference. Clemson was kind of on the, you know, and they still couldn't emerge uh, out of the ACC. Where do you see it? I see Miami as right now the program with the third highest potential in the ACC. Clemson's there. And I think we'll see a step forward from them with Garrett Riley at OC. I really like what 
Florida State's been building under Norvell. Had a really good year with Jordan Travis at quarterback last year. Miami has the hype. They have the promise every season. They have, you know, the NIL money. They have the the panache and the brand. You know, they're the U. That's what they call themselves. So, yeah, Miami probably should be better than they are. But when's the last time Miami proved it? They haven't. So I'm done believing in Miami as an ACC contender until they tell me that they're going to take it seriously. They had their moments. And I don't think it's going to be, you know, a one-year thing. I wasn't shocked they had the season they did last year in year one under Mario Cristobal. He's a builder at Oregon. You know, another glitz and glam type of program. What Mario Cristobal did was focus on the offensive and defensive lines first. You know, get Oregon more physical and more consistent in the trenches and then built out from there. So I assume that's his blueprint at Miami. Seems like there's an emphasis on that in that class. And to me, that's where you have to start because we know Clemson's defensive line is going to be good. It has been, you know, for a decade now. Florida State has had some NFL caliber edge rushers. Jermaine Johnson, they get Jared Verse, who has a really good year last year. So if Miami wants any chance to compete, it needs to get better on the offensive and defensive lines. All right. Well, um, there's someone on the chat line that threw something out. I'm going to throw this question out on you because it is one that we discussed. We talked about Texas. Uh, Texter 3764 says, you guys have it all wrong. Texas fans, I love it. I love the debate. Texas fans are hoping for another seven. Texas fans now are hoping for another seven-win season so that they will actually feel good entering the SEC. How is this question? Because seven wins means Sark gets fired and they will hire a guy that works at Fox who already owned the SEC once before. Who could that be? Yeah, I know. Depends on if you take the the unnamed Fox analyst at his word when he recently said he had, quote, no desire, end quote, to get back into coaching. He did the whole retire, unretire thing once before. I think generally he's solid on TV. Um, And I can understand how, given his health issues, that would be, you know, better for him where he can be in a studio or travel you know, once the weekend, do the prep at his own his own pace, what he needs to do instead of the day-to-day grind mm-hmm. of college coaching. I'm sure he'd be good at Texas. I'm, I don't think he's out of touch. I don't think he's lost it. But maybe he is actually going to be true to his word and stay out of coaching, in which case, yeah, Texas might be looking for a coach after another seven-win season. I don't think Sarkeesian's done a bad job. He just hasn't lived up to Texas standards, which I don't know if those are realistic anymore either, but that's a conversation for a different time. Well, great stuff uh, from my partner, Austin. Uh, great insight, great wisdom. Thanks for laying it out, laying out the groundwork. But we've got to take a quick break because we've got Double A coming on. We may continue some of this conversation with him and see what his thoughts are on uh, some of the topics that we discussed, some of the universities that we discussed, and maybe even add a few more to the, to the conversation. But we've got to take a quick break right now. We're at 93.7 The Ticket, and we're on the block. We've come back with Andrew Alex right after this.